What's up, everybody? I want to thank everybody so much for listening to the Windshield Factor podcast. Today, I have a couple very, 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 very special guests. I have, you know, the guys who who believed in me, who gave me an opportunity. Uh, Mr. A. Rich, King Rich, uh, you know, two guys who brought me onto the book. Very, very appreciative of these guys. Um, it's a pleasure to have you guys on. It's a pleasure having it's a pleasure for you having me on a rich Akeem Richens uh justice man I, I've been a fan of yours before you knew I was a fan of yours man so I'm just glad that you're a part of the team and I'm glad that I finally come on your podcast and uh deliver some good takes today yeah what's going on man this is good this is good I mean I, I've been waiting to do one of these podcasts with a rich and somebody else and justice you know how I feel about you man there's a reason why you're on the team because you work extremely hard to to keep our twitter page going and doing all kinds of other stuff so i'm i'm honored to be on your show man hey man i i just appreciate you know everything you guys have uh given to me is you know opportunity you guys have given me all the tools i need to succeed so i'm, I'm super appreciative uh but we're gonna uh jump right in and uh so obviously the biggest news uh pertaining to the bills at least uh would be the Julio Jones trade, Julio Jones going to the Tennessee Titans. First of all, I want to ask you guys, the compensation for the trade, was that something that you think that the Bills could have or should have given up and maybe taken a, a chance at Julio Jones? I want to start with you, uh, A-Rich. Uh, the compensation for the trade was actually what I expected, right? We're thinking about the business aspect and not the fan aspect. The business aspect is Julio Jones has been off injured these last couple of years. The business aspect is Julio Jones is on the wrong side of 30 and he's getting paid uh, a lot of money in future years. And that could be problematic because of his age and because of his injury history. So I'm not surprised at the compensation at all because you have to, you have to, give or get a little bit to give up that big contract giving up that big contract was the ultimate reward for the atlanta falcons i mean i i, I agree i mean everybody talks about the bills in the the digs trade last year right so we gave up a first rounder and a bunch of other draft picks but you got to look at like a rich said you got to look at the the age of the player that the bills acquired there's a lot more tread on those tires than there is on Julio Jones. And he has an injury history. So you have to factor in salary cap. You have to factor in a bunch of stuff. Would he have made the Bills probably the favorites in the AFC? Absolutely. But, you know, you have to look at all things considered. The Titans needed another receiver. You know, they lost Corey Davis. And Julio Jones is a lot better than Corey Davis. But they needed another guy if Derrick Henry can't get things done and teams are shutting him down, you need another outlet. So I, I think the compensation was right. I mean, I, I was pounding the table for the trade, um, but I think at the end of the day, I think it's it's good that the Bills didn't get rid of any draft capital in the future to have a rental for either you know two seasons or three seasons in Julio Jones um, and just keep the pipeline coming with the young guys. That's my opinion. And a rich, did you how how did you feel that the Bills didn't take a shot on Julio? Like, were you upset, or was you just happy to go into the season with our current roster or our current receiving core at least? You know what, I I felt away. 
I did feel away. Uh, I just spoke about his injury history and I spoke about his money. But at the same time, you have to be uh, in the right situation to acquire an, uh, a Julio Jones. I am happy that he went to the Tennessee Titans because, in my opinion, he didn't move the needle as much being the team that he went on as opposed to us Buffalo Bills. We are right there. We are right there. So why not go for the gold? Why not go get a guy that can possibly put us over the top? And Julio Jones, in my opinion, definitely was worth the risk because we're trying to hoist the Lombardi trophy. And I think we're closer than the Tennessee Titans into doing that. Okay. I think it's really interesting that you said about moving the needle. Uh, speaking of moving the needle, does this maybe jump Tennessee into the top of your AFC power rankings? Where where do you guys have, you know, your your what does your power rankings look like as far as, you know, just the seven uh, playoffs uh, spots that are available to the AFC East? DM3, how do you feel about, uh, you know, what, what's your power rankings? Well, until it's proven that a team can knock this team off in the AFC, I got to go with the Chiefs number one. I think the Bills are a close number two. Um, a lot of the people are talking about how they didn't make any upgrades in the offseason. Well, there wasn't much to upgrade on a 13-3 and three roster. So they signed guys that were their own, free agents. They brought in a viable backup quarterback. I think they drafted well. Um, so I think that they are the biggest competition for the Chiefs. Uh, number three, I have the Browns. I think the Browns had one hell of a draft in a really good offseason. Uh, what they did last year to the Chiefs in the playoffs can be compared to what the Bills did to the Chiefs in the playoffs. I think they played them a little bit more tough. Um, defensively, I thought they matched up really well. Um, and if OBJ comes back healthy, that defense, you know, they have a, a strong defensive line. So I feel like they're going to be a force come, you know, the regular season. Um, I have the Ravens at four. Um, I, I know a lot of people have a certain opinion one way or the other on Lamar Jackson, but he does get things done, whether it be with his legs. Um, their defense is always good. The running game is always going to be there. So I have them. And then after that, I have the Colts. I feel like the Colts are a really good up-and-coming team, and it, it's going to be based solely upon what Carson Wentz does. If he can rejuvenate his career, being back with Frank Reich and being back in that system, they have a, a, a great young defense. I think that they're going to be one of those teams that, that people aren't going to be paying a lot of attention to until it's time to play those teams. Uh, and then I have the Chargers. So a lot of people have made fun of me in my power rankings, putting the Chargers up there. But Justin Herbert had a really good season as a rookie. He's coming back year two. He's going to have the progression. The defense is there. They had some injuries last year. So I feel like that's a young up-and-coming team. They do have a rookie head coach, so that's one thing you got to keep your eye on. Um, but I really feel pretty strong. And then I have the Titans after that. Um, I do think the Titans were a playoff team before they got Julio Jones. I don't know, based on how they run uh, their offense, that he's going to make a huge difference, but he's going to be a safety blanket if they need him, and he's going to be a guy to look for in the fourth quarter. So I do have the Tennessee Titans rounding up my top seven. I do want to say real quick that Chargers pick. I'm I really like that pick. I didn't think about it, but now that you mention it, I think that is that's a really good eye to like you know look at what uh, what's projected to happen. I think that Herbert 
is it has the makings to be a, a superstar quarterback. I call him baby Josh. Uh, I think that they have a really talented head coach. He should do pretty well uh, coming in, especially given that roster that he was afforded. Um, so I, I think that's a really good pick. Um, a rich, how do you, what, what is your top seven look like? And I think that's an excellent selection as well. I was really looking at the Chargers. Uh, they got my boy Asante Samuel Jr. And I like a lot of things that the Chargers did this offseason. But as far as uh, my top seven selections, of course, uh, to beat a man, you have to beat the man. And we haven't beat the man yet. So Kansas City is obviously number one, right? Uh, after Kansas City, uh, it's the Buffalo Bills. Me was that close to the mountaintop. Uh, we faced in the AFC championship game. I really like our chances despite other teams offseason moves. I really like our chances to get back if we could stay relatively healthy. So I got us as number two. Uh, the number three team I have is the Baltimore Ravens. I just think the Baltimore Ravens are a well-coached team. I think Lamar Jackson has some things to prove. I think Greg uh, Roman has some things to prove as an offensive coordinator. And I, th I just I just believe in, in that coaching staff and in that organization in the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the next team is the, the Cleveland Browns. Now, I know a lot of people would have the Cleveland Browns over the Baltimore Ravens, but in my opinion, uh, coaching matters. And I just think as good as a coach uh, and as good as a job Kevin Stefanski has done, he's had blunder moments in the playoffs when he was in the uh, offensive coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings before coming over to the Cleveland Browns. He, he stuck up the joint uh, in that playoff game. Uh, the Cleveland Browns won a playoff game last year, but that was without Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski comes back and there was a lot of questionable coaching decisions and uh, uh, that he made throughout that playoff game. So as good as he is in the regular season, I'm concerned about him when it's time to make the correct calls all the time against other elite coaches in the biggest of games. And that's possible playoff games and division, uh, division around games. Uh, so that's why I have Cleveland Browns at number four. Uh, moving on to my number five team is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee Titans was my number five team before the Julio Jones trade. They're my number five team after the Julio Jones trade. Are they a better team? Yes. But in my opinion, they still have some question marks that the teams above them don't have. I'm still concerned about their pass rush. I'm still concerned about some durability issues that they have uh, with Julio Jones. And uh, uh, I'm concerned with that back end, that secondary. Can that secondary hold up? They got rid of a Dory Jackson. They uh, let go some guys in that secondary. So it's going to be interesting to see how they piece that defense together. Defense and durability is going to make or break the Tennessee Titans. Uh, moving on to my number 16 is the Indianapolis Colts. I think Carson Wentz going back with his, with his coach that uh, almost made him an MVP if he didn't get injured is a, is a confidence booster in Carson Wentz. And we've seen the type of team we ran into uh, in the Indianapolis Colts in the playoff game last year. The reason we beat the Colts is because Josh Allen was the best overall uh, football player in that stadium. If we had another quarterback, I'm not sure if we beat the uh, Indianapolis Colts. They are well-balanced uh, offensive and defensive team. The question and the X factor to that team is Carson Wentz. Can he get back to the MVP Carson Wentz or is he this Carson Wentz 
that is a shell of himself and is the reason why the Philadelphia Eagles organization let him know, uh, let him go. So that will remain to be seen, but I have them as my number 16. And my number 17 is the Miami Dolphins. I just, I, I love Brian Flores as a coach. I know they have some issues that they're working out with the quarterback uh, position. Uh, I think Tua is going to, is going to improve enough to keep them in games. I think Tua is going to be a guy that can that can be similar to Tyrod Taylor when it comes to managing the football game. He probably won't win the football game for you, but he won't lose it either. And when you have a guy like Brian Flores and the way he coaches up that defense and you look at the the offensive weapons that the Miami Dolphins have in Devontae Parker and Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle and Mike Jacecki, they just have a lot of weapons to deal with. And I think they're going to claim that number seven uh, playoff seed, the Miami Dolphins. So uh, those are my seven teams that round out the AFC uh, power rankings or playoff picture. I think the AFC as a whole is is super deep. You know what I mean? The the fact that you both of your guys' lists look so different and that there were different teams in each list and a couple teams that didn't make one list or another. I think that that speaks volumes to just how competitive the AFC is at this point. And it's very interesting as Bills fans, you know, being where we've been to be ranked number two. And I think confidently for most people, uh, they would say that the Bills are, are firmly in that number two position behind the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, my question to you, A. Rich, is what the Bills need to do or what can they possibly do this season to surpass the Kansas City Chiefs and, and be that number one team? We got to be – there's a lot of things we got to hope comes to fruition, right? We got to hope. And it's, it's a scary thing to go off hope. It's a scary thing to, to go off some things that we're, we're going off of, but at the same time, we're more confident in those things because of the track record of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. But we got to hope that uh, Gregory Rousseau and his his sixth, seventh length can be a part of that rotation and be a part of a bigger uh, Buffalo Bills defensive line, and he could help uh, improve the pass rush and help improve the run defense. We got to hope Carlos Basham can come in and be that instant impact player that us as uh, as as analysts and as evaluators uh, think he could be. Uh, we got to hope that F.E. Abada can come in and show his speed and his versatility. We got three guys that are uh, 6'5 and physical freaks, and we got to uh, hope that they could come and help our ball club along with uh, continued development and and pl and player progression, right? We got to hope that uh, Tremaine Edmonds comes and, and plays to a level that he never played in, in his past, even him being a two-time Pro Bowl player. Uh, we want to see Tremaine Edmonds be a more impactful, more enforcer at, at the middle linebacker position. And he's still a very young player that didn't maximize his ceiling yet. So we're looking for him to progress. We're looking for Ed Oliver to take the next step. He's back in the three technique. He no longer has that role or has that excuse of playing in the one technique role. This is his third year in the, in the NFL and he gets to play his position and we expect him to progress and take off and be that top 10 player 
uh, we drafted him to be. And and continued development in offensive players as well, right? The running game with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. The passing game continued to develop. We want to see what Isaiah Hodgins can do. Is he going to make the team? Uh, Dawson Knox, his progression. Uh, we, we've been wanting tight ends and we've been clamoring for guys like Zach Ertz, but it may happen. We've been hearing reports, but it hasn't happened yet. Right. So we going to hope for continued progression from a Dawson Knox and continued progression from a Gabriel Davis. And if we get progression uh, from the players we had, we had already on the team last season, combined with the offseason additions that can maximize and propel the Bills to overtaking the Kansas City Chiefs this season and get into that Super Bowl. Okay, I think it's it's fair to say we can all agree pretty much with what Avery said. We do need a lot of things to come to fruition. We need a lot of players to step up and, you know, be more than they've been, you know, in the past. And for us to have such young talent that is that is potentially can develop into something even greater for a 13 and three should have been 14 and two teams is pretty amazing. But I do want to speak to something you said about Dawson Knox's um progression uh dm3 there is rumors that zach ertz could be a guy who could come into buffalo and and make a difference or just come into buffalo and you know upgrade our tight end position would you rather see a guy like dawson knox give the get the opportunity to come in and show himself to be a tight end one or do you think that we pull the trigger and go get a zach ertz and just upgrade the position and and roll with that um, I'll, I'll answer that in a second. I, I want to kind of piggyback off of what Averidge said. He was talking, you guys both were talking about progression and I think we need to have some progression from Sean McDermott too. Um, because every year it seems like he takes a step in the right direction. I want to say it's that killer instinct, but if you watch the AFC championship game, he was very timid punting on fourth down when throughout the whole season, if it was a fourth and manageable, the team went for it and they got it. Um, and then if if you can if you can mix get back to what the defense was in 2019 i believe they were second or third ranked overall including run pass the whole the whole nine and mix that with the offense last year that's going to beat the chiefs that mixture of play from both sides of the ball and obviously special teams is going to beat the chiefs and i think if you mix all that stuff together in a perfect pot I think that's that's the good recipe for success for the Bills against the Chiefs and everybody else in the AFC. Um, now, if we're talking about Zach Ertz and Dawson Knox, everybody knows how I feel about both guys. Um, and if you don't know, I'll tell you. I, I like Dawson Knox. Am I critical like everybody else is? Absolutely. Because I understand that you have played the position – not as long as some other tight ends that come into the NFL. You were a quarterback in high school. You played an old Miss with a stacked wide receiver roster. You weren't asked to do a lot except maybe block occasionally. And once in a while, they're going to throw a pass to you. But he had no touchdowns in college. Um, so a lot of things have to, you know, they have to translate. Like year three has to be the year where he figures out his blocking schemes. He figures out the hand-eye coordination stuff, which I've seen stuff coming out that he's seen a hand-eye coordinator or a hand – hand-eye coordination specialist. So all that stuff is fine and well, but if you have a chance to upgrade your tight end position, because that's what it is. We're, we're all about upgrades. We're all about, you know, leave no stone unturned, 
right? Brandon Bean's always looking. That's what he says. Every press conference, Sean McDermott, we're always looking. We're always looking. We're always on the phone. We're always calling to see if someone's available. If you bring in Zach Ertz, don't look at what he did in 2020 because that team, the Eagles were a train wreck. The offense was a train wreck. Carson Wentz got benched. They, they were all over the place. He had a career low and he still outproduced Dawson Knox. So, if you bring a guy like Ertz in, I don't think that it hurts the confidence of Dawson Knox. I think all it does is fuel the fire for him to be better. And that's what you want. Iron sharpens iron, right? That's the McDermott motto in his creed. Bring in guys to compete. Bring in guys to make the other guy better. And Brandon Bean himself said after the draft, everybody was asking me, why did we draft for the future? And he said, we absolutely drafted for now because these rookies are pushing these veterans to play and perform better. So you bring in a Dawson Knox, or you bring in a Zach Ertz, he's going to push Dawson Knox. On top of the fact, you're going to get on-field production, you're going to get all the locker room stuff, you're going to get the film study stuff. It instantly makes your tight end room a lot better. On top of the fact that people want to talk about how we don't utilize the tight end because we run four wide receiver sets. Well, maybe there's some reasoning behind that. Maybe there was a trust issue with you know calling plays and scheming offense to not have the tight end as involved because if as you saw down the stretch they were getting Dawson Knox more involved on the little gimme stuff the little seven yard routes the the screen passes the stuff that was easy we know he can do it let's get him to do it um but I mean Zach Ertz to me He's that big body tight end that is going to get you contested catches. He's more physical, I believe, than Dawson Knox is, and I believe he's an exceptional blocker. Um, there's a reason why he's gone to Pro Bowls. You know, he's won a Super Bowl, so he brings that experience with him as well. Um, you know, you know, he could tell these guys how it feels, how it tastes to win a championship. And I think that you can add a veteran, no matter at what position, into your locker room, and that's going to do you know, it's going to work volumes for these guys in their confidence and things like that. And plus Dawson Knox has even come out and said that he's not concerned about if they bring in, you know, a guy like Zach Ertz, he's still going to do what he has to do to compete and to be the best version of himself that he can be. So I'm, I'm all in on Zach Ertz. I, I money obviously is concerning depending on, you know, what happens if he's released or if there's a trade and restructure, because I think Zach Ertz has a few years left, you know, in his career. And I think it could be a trade restructure extend type deal and get him a, a team friendly contract and put him on a winner. That's competing. Um, everybody wants to talk about if he's released, he's going to go play with his buddy Carson once in Indianapolis. That may very well be the case, but if you look at the roster stacked together, I think the bills have a better chance of competing for a super bowl, you know, in the immediate future. So that's my thoughts on that whole situation. King Rich, what do you think about the the entire Zachers Dawson Knox uh, situation? Do you uh, agree with DM three and think that Zachers comes in and creates just better production at the tight end position, or do you think you give Dawson Knox a shot? It's all about cost. It's all about uh, uh, at the end of the day that that's what it's all about with a lot of these players, right? Cost, right? What is it going to take? to get a Zach Ertz to come to the Buffalo Bills. Because in my opinion, uh, does he upgrade the Buffalo Bills roster in the tight end room? Yes. Is he an upgrade over Dawson Knox? Yes. Uh, he's a guy that has experience. He's a guy that 
uh, has good soft hands. He knows how to use his body, kind of like a basketball player. He understands how to use his body to back to box out a defender and make contested catches. Uh, so he would definitely be a useful upgrade in the tight end room, but I'm not sure if he's going to be worth the cost. Me personally, I'm comfortable with the way our tight end room is situated right now. Uh, getting Zach Ertz is like getting Julio Jones, but to a lesser degree, because I don't want to diss Julio Jones like that, right? Uh, Julio Jones is an upgrade to the Tennessee Titans receiving room. He's an upgrade to the overall team, but uh, does he move the needle? How much did he move the needle? I don't think uh, fans was scared or other guys is as scared of Julio Jones going to the Tennessee Titans uh, as opposed to other teams that's uh, more ready to compete for a title. And that's just how I feel about the, uh, Zach Ertz. I believe he's a good tight end. I do believe he would upgrade the, the tight end room, but the cost is what matters most because I don't think he would move the needle in terms of uh, – this move is going to put the Buffalo Bills over the top, and now we're solidified in Super Bowl in the Super Bowl driver's seat. I don't think uh, getting Zach Ertz says that for the Buffalo Bills. But again, does he improve the team? No question. It's all about the cost. And let me—I'm going to jump back in on this real quick too, because we, we've talked. Me and me and Eric have talked about this before, and I've talked about this, you know, all over social media, but. If if you bring in Ertz, he does more than just give you production in the pass game. I think he improves your running game. I also think that there's times last year when Josh was looking for Dawson Knox and he couldn't get open because of his lack of experience of route running, you know, what have you. And I think you get that with Zach Ertz. So I think it improves the offense. And if you want to go, we're talking about Julio Jones. If you're going to get a guy to just be a pass catcher, you get Zach Ertz because he's going to give you that pass production. He's going to give you receptions. He's going to give you targets. And I, I just think that there's, I, I would feel comfortable, extremely comfortable with our, if we run two tight end sets and we're in the red zone, I'd be more comfortable with Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox than Dawson Knox and Jacob Hollister. And that's, that's just my opinion on that. And then one more, one more rebuttal. I apologize, justice. One more rebuttal. Uh, Zach Ertz, he fell off a cliff last year. Now, I know people would oh, say, hold, hold on, why did he fall off a cliff though? Oh, oh, oh what because of quarterback play? Is he that, still out, that... he still outperformed Dawson Knox, but that's not outperforming Dawson Knox is not really saying too much, exactly. <laughs> so, so, why don't we get someone that can outperform Dawson Knox? So <laughs> you just made my, my argument. Yeah, uh, exactly. But my my thing is my thing is this with my thing was this with uh, uh, Dawson Knox and and Zach Ertz, and you just completely uh, threw my mind off the rails right quick. But how much did he outperform uh, uh, Dawson Knox? He didn't outperform Dawson Knox by too much, and we're talking about a guy that is going to cost more than he's probably worth. We're talking about a guy that uh, reclined or declined in production when the tight end is a safety blanket for any quarterback. Don't matter if you're good, bad, uh, or shitty, right? The, uh, the, the tight end position is always a safety blanket. And if you are that all pro, you should be able to get yours regardless of quarterback because you're in a friendly, 
you are in a friendly position at the tight end position. So let me let me answer this. So in 2019, we're just completely taking over Justice Show. <laughs> and y'all are good. I, this is the reason I had you guys on because you're both opinionated gentlemen. I absolutely love the debate. So keep going. In 2019, Zacherts had 88 receptions. In 2018, Zacherts had 116 receptions. So you think that he just fell off a cliff? Or do you think that it was because of the piss poor play calling and the quarterback play last year? And again, back to your point, his worst season statistically was better than Dawson Knox. You got to think that he's going to come in here and he's going to get more targets. He's going to get open more. He's going to help in the run game and he's going to do a lot of things better than Dawson Knox. And I don't want to hear these people that say that the bills don't utilize the tight end because they have not had a good tight end in how long 25 years. So if you add a guy like that, he's going to be that safety blanket because if we look back at film, there might be times when Dawson Knox just couldn't get open and it was a play designed for Dawson Knox and Josh had to check down or throw the ball away. We don't know that. So I think you bring him in, it's only a win-win. Yes, the money's always going to be key. If we have to trade draft picks, it's always going to be key because Brendan Bean hates to, to get rid of those. So I don't know. I, I think I think you 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 instantly make the team better. It's not Julio Jones better, but it's definitely an improvement on this team in the offense. Nice. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> hey, man, like I said, you, you guys are two brilliant and uh, opinionated gentlemen. That's exactly why I want to have you on. So please feel free to, you know, uh, rebut anything, you know, someone might say that you may uh, disagree with. <laughs> so uh, speaking of Dawson Knox and Zach Ertz, as far as their position battle, I do have a, a, a curveball. I didn't tell you guys about this, but I, I do wanted to get you guys' opinions on the running back, or I'm sorry, the cornerback room. Uh, Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, Richard Sherman, Steven Nelson. There's a couple different options out there. Uh, DM3, who do you think should be the cornerback two starting week one? Dane Jackson. Now, before everybody, and I know Arich is going to jump on me for this one, but I know Arich, we talked last night on Bill's Allergy, we talked about Levi Wallace. We know what Levi Wallace is, right? We know. I think we know what his ceiling is, and I think he's the floor at CB2. Now, is he going to take this amazing jump? I don't think so. I don't think he's just going to progress into something else. And that, It bothers me when people bring up stats about how he's one of the best CB2s you know, in the league, that's, that's fine. But I want to see what Dane Jackson can do. I like his physicality. I like the fact that in a hundred, I think like 105 snaps last year, he looked like he was more around the ball than Levi Wallace was. If that makes any sense, it looks like he is able to, I don't know, kind of, we want those cornerbacks that can get, in on the running game. We want those cornerbacks that, you know, can do certain things that I just don't think Levi Wallace can do. He plays the ball. I think he plays the ball and he doesn't play the man. So he's not going to always get those picks, right? Or I'm sorry, I meant that the other way. He plays the man and not the ball. So that's why we don't see high interception numbers from Levi Wallace because he's just playing the man. 
So we need a corner. If it's Steven Nelson, fine. If it's Richard Sherman, fine. If it's Dane Jackson, fine. But we need a guy that that can get turnovers. We need a guy that can help in the run game. Because as we all know, this team struggles in the run game. And there's times when either Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, whoever else you want to throw out there, has had issues you know, being support in that run game. So I, I don't know. There's... There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen this 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 offseason. I'm absolutely, you know, thrilled by the fact that we have somewhat normal offseason routines as far as camp, mandatory camp, preseason, things like that, because I want to see what he's got. Um, I really liked his film when he played with Pittsburgh. They took a flyer on him in the seventh round. I think Brandon Beans come on record saying that they didn't they didn't think that he was going to even be there in the seventh round. Um, and again, it, it's it's kind of like the unknown, right? Like we we all know what Levi Wallace is, right? We all know what Tredavious White is. We all know what Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are. We don't know what Dane Jackson is. So they have to see something up to this point, up to June 13th. They have to see something in Dane Jackson or else they would have replaced, you know, or they would have added more depth to this roster. That's just my opinion. Steven Nelson's sitting there. Richard Sherman's sitting there. I, I, it all depends on money, I guess, too, but I, I want to see Dane Jackson. I, I like what he's got. I liked him in small snippets last year. I thought his reaction time was, was really good. He's athletic. I think he's a little bit quicker than Levi. So that's, that's my take on, on CB two. Nice, nice man. And, and as far as the CB two position, the cornerback two position, uh, I love Dane Jackson, right? We're talking about a guy who who's an alpha male, who who has uh, the tenacity and the mental makeup that you want, that you covet in in a football player, no matter what the position is. So I love that about Dane Jackson, uh, but he has the same uh, physical limitations. He has the same athletic limitations, just like Levi Wallace. So we want to see Dane Jackson and the main and the main thing, the main difference really between Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace is that mentality. We see that 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 tenacity. We see that dog in Dane Jackson more than Levi Wallace. But in my opinion, that's not enough. <laughs> uh, you have to have athleticism in this NFL. You have to have athleticism in this NFL to compete with elite teams. You have to have athleticism in this NFL to compete with the elite teams that's standing in our way to get to a Super Bowl. So when I do see a guy standing in the free agent market and saying he's waiting for a team, uh, the right team to come along, he wants to compete for a championship. When I see a guy like Richard Sherman sitting there, and he plays the same defense that we uh, we play. And he covets uh, Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills. He highly praised the organization when he's on the podcast with Chris Collinsworth. He's a guy that uh, is not only uh, a high IQ player that would improve the locker room and could help Trey White and help Dane Jackson and help uh, Levi Wallace. He's better than any number two cornerback that we've had in the past. He's better than Avante Davis. 
that we try to acquire. He's better than a Philip Gaines that we try to acquire. He's better than a EJ Gaines. He's better than a Josh Norman. Even past his prime, he's better, he's better and has more ability to display better production than any of those players we had in the past, combined with he's one of the more intelligent players in all of sports, not just football, all of sports. So when you have a guy like that just sitting out there, I think we have to, we have to, we have to go in and take that flyer. Uh, DM3 just spoke about Sean McDermott has to improve too, right? Well, shit. It didn't work year one with Levi Wallace. It didn't work when you try to get Vontae Davis and EJ Gaines and Josh Norman. You have to improve. Let's stop being stubborn. Let's do something different. Let's go and get the guy that's one of the smartest and brightest players in the NFL that have more in his tank than any of the players we had in the past. So uh, it will also add depth as well, right? So in my opinion, it will be a no-brainer for the Buffalo Bills to go out and get that get that corner to add depth, smarts, and production to their football team. And I, want to piggyback, I want to piggyback on that real quick. And okay. people, people are quick to, to say, well, he's too – we're talking about Richard Sherman. He's too old, and we're just doing the Josh Norman thing over and over. If you compare the careers of Josh Norman and Richard Sherman, it's not even close. Mm -mm. And to think when these players get older, talking about like Richard Sherman, guys who are Hall of Fame – caliber players what they lack in physicality they're going to make up for with mental toughness now what i mean by that is that he's going to come in and put himself in positions to be successful because he's smart he's intelligent he can he understands the game of football and you got to think he understands the fact that he might have lost a step but what he lost or where he lost a step he's going to make up for it by being able to read whatever the play design is coming from the offense on top of the fact and we spoke about this on Bill's allergy. He's going to help Sean McDermott. He's going to be another field general alongside Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. That's going to put these other players in position to be successful. And I didn't even go into the fact that in the film room, he's going to teach guys, even all pros like Tredavious White, how to watch film, study game day, you know, clips and things talking about other wide receivers and things like that. So it's to me, if you, if you put Steven Nelson, who's a younger player, I get that, next to Richard Sherman, the, the added things that you get besides on-field production are so much, it's paramount in comparison to what you get from Steven Nelson with a Richard Sherman. And, and you know what, DM3, that's an excellent point. How much guys can recognize and understand that the fact that they did in perhaps lose our step, but can look at film and look at other ways they can make up for that lost step on film, right? Richard Sherman is smart enough to understand those things. And I think it's a no brainer. All right. As you guys spoke a lot about uh, Richard Sherman uh, coming in and, you know, being a potential cornerback too for us and in even maybe just a mentor for you know some of the guys and of course he would be able to contribute with his play on the field however there is another guy who has shown some interest in buffalo former cornerback uh for the pittsburgh steelers steven nelson do you guys think that he would be a viable option for the bills do you think that he would even be the cornerback too should he be signed or what do you where you uh what do you think in there a rich 
Uh, Steven Nelson is another player that uh, would improve the Buffalo Bills uh, cornerback room. I think uh, he has a he has an ability to excel. He had, uh, I believe, two interceptions last year. Uh, targeted seven, 76 times, 42 tackles. So he has a knack for the ball and, and a nose to make plays. I believe Steven Nelson would be uh, a viable option as well. And I think he would help more along of, of uh, other reasons. He's not the Richard Sherman, right? He's not the, the, the intellectual specimen that Richard Sherman is that's going to come and help the Bills locker room and help the Bills organization that way. Steven Nelson is more of a guy that can come in and compete for a number two cornerback spot, a guy that played for a successful organization, a winning organization, understands where to be in big spots and big games, and he will come in and, and bring that experience necessary and bring more toughness and bring more depth to the position, right? I think that's where Steven Nelson will come in to play the most, bringing depth to the cornerback position because we've been relatively healthy these last couple of years. DM3 said it on, on our uh, vidcast last night on Billsology that we've been lucky to have the the health and the guys available on a week-to-week -week basis. But God forbid Trey White goes down, right? God forbid Levi Wallace goes down, right? Who is going to be the next man up? Is it going to be Rashard Wild Goose? Is it going to be Dane Jackson or Rashard Wild Goose? That's where problems and 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 problem uh, problematic things can probably come into play. So if you acquire a man like uh, uh, Steven Nelson, he will bring depth and versatility to the cornerback position. And overall, uh, we just have to upgrade that position uh, any way we can upgrade the position. In my opinion, upgrading number two cornerback position is is more necessary than upgrading the tight end position. And that's just how I feel about that. I think that's a good point that you mentioned about, you know, what happens if those guys get injured? Because we saw what happened last year when we faced the Tennessee Titans. Levi Wallace and uh, Trey White were out, mm -hmm. and we watched what A.J. Brown did to our defense. Um, so I, I think that that definitely, you know, holds some credence. Uh, DM3, did you have any opinions on possibly going after Steven Nelson? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was drafted third round by the Chiefs, right? Played four years for the Chiefs. So he was in a successful organization, right? Then he went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, played the last two seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we know how good that defense was in 2019. Um, one of the top five defenses. So he's, he's familiar with competing at a high level. Um, we talk about injuries. He's only missed two games in the last three years where that's where you'd be concerned with Richard Sherman coming off the injury that he had last year. I, I think you bring in a Steven Nelson because, like Arid said, it's that competitive edge, right? We've all seen the social media posts. He's all about trying to get on the team. He's ready to roll, um, and, and he's he's younger than Richard Sherman, so you got more tread on those tires. But to me, this guy's looking for his next contract, where Richard Sherman might be one of those guys that's kind of towards the end of his career. He might be doing these one-year deal things. Um, just to kind of round out his career where Steven Nelson's going to be looking to get paid. Right. So whenever you have players in, in, in contract years, whether it be on a one-year contract or the last year of their deal they they seem to magically just fall out. And that's one thing you have to, you, you have to think about on top of the fact that I think that he pushes Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. 
And I'd rather have a younger guy for depth um, on the roster, say, than a guy, you know, on the opposite side of his 30s um, in Richard Sherman. But if I had to compare the two, I, I would pick Richard Sherman. If if we're, we're talking same deal, both guys, one-year contract, same money, I got to go with Richard Sherman because of all the intangibles that you get um, besides just on-the-field production. I think that you get, you know, the intelligent player in Richard Sherman – you get the guy who's going to help the coach. And I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, but as fortunate as we've been the last four years in our secondary, it's, it's crazy to even think about something that could happen, you know, one play away from having, you know, your depth guys play in a meaningful season when the bills, you know, our top five team in the NFL, you know, gunning for to get back to the AFC championship game, ultimately the Super Bowl. So I mean, there's there's pros and cons to both guys. I mean, Stephen Nelson's a younger guy. He's he's come from winning organizations. Then you got Richard Sherman, who's intelligent. He's won a Super Bowl, you know. So I mean, it, it's a tough call. It's it's really a, it is a tough call, and I, I think that Bills Mafia would be fifty fifty um, on it. To be honest with you, yeah, I agree. I'm a, I'm about fifty fifty. I think I would be I would be content with either one. I think that. Richard Sherman, if you bring him onto the roster, he does wonders for your, your Trey Whites and your your Dane Jacksons, even your Teron Johnsons. Uh, you know, just the entire secondary, he can give you tips and just give you, you know, that veteran Hall of Fame level experience. And then also, obviously, Stephen Elsie, another, you know, athletic body to go in there and, you know, actually be a difference maker uh, where it's a little more so than I think Richard Sherman could be. Uh, but let's say best case scenario, you know, there are we're fortunate enough to not have too many injuries or too many, uh, you know, injuries to to players that are you know pertinent to our success. What do you guys seeing our 17 game win loss total being DM three? Oh, man, that's you put me on the spot right away. Well, last year I did a I did a video and said that the Bills are going to sweep the East and I got laughed at. Well, the Bills swept the East. I don't know if they're going to sweep the East again this year um, because the Patriots have improved. The Dolphins have improved. I'm not yet concerned with the Jets. I think they're a couple years away. But schedule last year was top five hardest um, in the NFL, and the Bills were able to muster up 13 wins with a declining defense because, you know, scoring 501 points. Is pretty impressive. So it's all going to be based on, I think, how this team comes out of the gate um, because, you know, we got the Chiefs early in week five. There's some games, there's some tough stretches there where we have a two or three game stretch here and there where it's some really good teams. But the Bills have the sixth easiest schedule this year. So if we're basing that on solely what the teams did to make improvements, uh, what the Bills were able to do last year with a tough schedule, I, I, I can see the Bills going 13 and four, 14 and three. Um, and I, I think maybe five and one in the East only because I, I think you're going to have some more competitive games between the Dolphins and the Patriots. Um, I don't think that they're not there yet. I don't think they're there yet as far as being able to be a complete team like the Bills are. And, and it's a lot of the season's going to be based on the Bills defense as well, right? We need them to take the step that they took in 2019. We need them to get back to the form. Um, and I think they will. I think the pass coverage um, or the pass 
pass rush is going to improve, which is going to help our coverage, which may be why they're not looking at CB2 um, as hard as everybody wants them to, to make an upgrade, if you will, because they believe that we're going to be able to get after the quarterback and our secondary is going to be good enough. Um, not a ton of top 10 passers against the Bills this year like there was last year. Um, there was a gauntlet of top 10 quarterbacks that the Bills played last year. They don't have that this year. A lot of rookies. Um, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but there's a lot of rookies on, on the schedule. So Sean McDermott feasts on rookies. So I think it'll be a long day for some of those guys. So I could see 13 wins. And that's not me just, you know, kind of boasting and, and kind of bragging about how good I think the team is. I honestly think that 13 wins again is is going to be top two in the I, I believe in the AFC. So I got 13 and four, and then my high mark would be 14 and three. King Rich. I have 13 and four. You know, low mark, low mark 12 and five. Uh, because of the concern of the bye week. You know, we have a bye week in week seven. I was wondering how the NFL was going to construct that. You want to add another game or you added another bye week? How are we going to do things here? Uh, the Buffalo Bills have a bye week in week seven. So that means we have about 10 games in a row. And that's a lot of games in a row. So that's that's my only concern with the Buffalo Bills schedule, but as, as far as uh, talent standpoint, uh, I do believe that overall our division has gotten better. I do believe the Jets is going to be a lot more competitive than a lot of people think, but overall the Buffalo Bills is just uh, a sound, well-oiled machine. Uh, the continuity matters between players. The continuity matters between the coaches. Uh, I think that's going to is going to play a, a, a benefit when we play certain teams that could have talent, but it's not ready to take the next step. So I got Buffalo Bills going, uh, going 13 and four and about uh, five and one in the division as well. I think the division is tough. Uh, one of those teams may be able to sneak out a victory between the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots, but overall uh, 13 and four uh, low point 12 and five. See, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little more, more confident than you guys are. Um, I, I look at last season and I say, okay, Josh didn't really know what he was doing, like what was going on. Like this was his first season of elite football play. Um, Brian Dayball, this was really his first season of like very elite play calling. And um, I think that they both still have room to grow. And I think that this fourth year is going to be the culmination of everything that they've experienced over the, the last three years. And I think that they're going to put everything together uh, the right way. And I think that it's going to, you know, come to just a brilliant offensive season. And honestly, uh, with the way that Frazier turned around his defense last year, too, I think that we could put the entire package together. Um, I, I take a look at last season and then you say, OK, we lost three games. Should have been two games for a fluke Hail Mary, uh, you know, so that that's 14 wins. Not only that, but those two games were rescheduled. Those two games were, you know, circumstances that are very unusual. Uh, and then the one game you were missing two of your starters on defense. The other game, Josh is injured and it's horrible weather. Now, it's, no, it's not like excuses, but this is just going to, you know, my logic for why I think that the Bills could be a interesting game. I just think that Josh being in his fourth year 
is going to be even better than he was last year. He's going to know more than he did. He's going to, you know, take the check downs from time to time and get that quick seven, eight yard. Or actually with Devin Singletary back there making plays, you never know. It could be way more than seven yards. So I think that he's going to be able to do the little things that maybe he didn't know about last year. And I could see it coming together to, you know, 15, 16 wins possibly. Um, and, and I know that sounds crazy, but again, wow. last year we had 14 wins or, or we should have had 14 wins. Mm. So uh, I, I am very confident. I love it. I, I think we're going to know really early about how good this team is going to be um, because you open up at Pittsburgh, good defensive team. You go to Miami, good defensive team. Then you're at home for the Washington football team. All three teams, really good defensive teams. So we're going to know real, like really early on how good this offense was last year and if it's going to translate into this year. Because then there's there's some stretches in there where it's not as dicey because then we go to Houston. Um, and then we got Kansas City and Tennessee both on the road back-to-back. So that's going to be another test. So after week six and then we get our bye, we need to hope that they're they're, they're flying high into that bye and we're not – you know, we're not beat up and running back to one Bills drive, you know, with just a couple wins. So if we can get through that first stretch, I think once, if you look at compared to last year, once that Cardinals game was over and the dust settled, Josh in the offense just went bananas the second half of the season. Like they, he, he put the team on his back and just, they, they, they went off. The defense got better. So we're going to find out real early on in the season what this team's uh, made out of because the defenses that they're playing, Josh is going to have to bring it every single week for that first quarter of the season. Yeah, you made a great point. Um, and this was more evidence for me to, to believe what I believe because if you take a look at Josh Allen's career, I say this all the time, but it's the truth and it's very good you know, statistical evidence, but Josh has improved every eight games. Like, Literally, you can look at the statistics every single eight games he improves. Now, I have no reason to believe that that won't continue. You know what I mean? Because he's gotten to be a better quarterback every half season because of what he learned and the mistakes that he, you know, uh, cuts out of his game. Uh, You know, like he was an interception machine his rookie year, or at least if you let people, you know, tell you that that's what they'll tell you. And then the second season, his, his main concern was, oh, he throws too many interceptions. He goes nine straight games without throwing a single pick. I think he is going to be able to improve even more than he did last year. Because, again, last year there were still some things that he was missing. And he was arguably the best quarterback in the league. He had more uh, percentage of his team's uh, total yards as well as total touchdowns, even more than MVP Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, yeah, I just think that even speaks to more that, you know, the Bills are just going to be a juggernaut this season. I think, too, if if we get Josh from 2020 and our defense improves, you know, a fair amount, we're talking about 15 wins. Because Josh last year, yes, there was a couple things that he could have done better, but not a lot. There wasn't a lot of stuff that you picked apart. And once they hit that stride of winning eight straight down the stretch, like, he was making top 10 defenses look just completely baffled. 
So if, if we get the Josh from last year and everybody wants to, you know, do the projections and all that stuff, if we get the Josh from last year and our defense takes a step in the right direction, this team is a Super Bowl contending team, period. I, I do want to ask you guys another question. I know that we're almost an hour into this, but I want to see how you guys feel about our current draft class because I haven't gotten you guys' opinions on that yet. What do you think that the current draft class can do for our roster this year, King Rich? Uh, the current draft class, my thoughts on the current draft class, I was shocked. I was shocked uh, initially at the direction we wanted to go to wanted to go as an organization and was i was i upset at the draft or did i feel away in a in a negative aspect no but i definitely was shocked because there were certain players on the board that i felt would have made a difference with the buffalo bills but again that's how i felt and i'm not in that organization and i'm not the expert so uh when you look at the buffalo bills draft as a whole and its totality i think that uh, they did have a theme behind their draft. They wanted to get bigger and they wanted to get more athletic. And I think they 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 did so in this draft class. When you have a Gregory Rousseau who's six seven, who has the wingspan that he has, and he could be a disruptor off of his size alone, right? He doesn't have to be a finished product. He can be a raw prospect and still be a rotational piece for the Buffalo Bills because he's a a, a large human being and i think that's what the buffalo bills wanted when they drafted him and they believe in their coaching staff that uh to progress a player like him moving forward uh a guy like carlos basham he gonna come in and he could contribute right away he's stout on run defense uh carlos basham is a guy in my opinion when he was drafted made me feel a lot better about the first round draft pick and it's crazy how the second round draft pick could make you feel a lot better than the first uh, a lot better about the first round draft pick but that's just how my feelings was uh in that instance of our first two selections being drafted and uh with spencer brown and tommy doyle i love this i love the selections from an athletic standpoint right i like it from uh, the the type of players they are, big, physical, athletic players. And that's something that uh, I've been wanting the Buffalo Bills to become more for some time now. I believe the Buffalo Bills lacked some physicality and lacked some, some athleticism. So they definitely uh, uh, answered the bell in that retrospect. At the same time, um, when you think about the offseason, and it's not like other pe uh, people's opinion matter, but when you do get people's opinion and when you dive into to certain articles and you read uh, things like the Bleacher Report and you see that the Buffalo Bills had the worst offseason out of everybody in the AFC East in their opinion. And of course, it's their opinion, but I could understand why, because there was more impactful players that could have be that could have been had for the Buffalo Bills and I believe Brandon Bean elected to go a different route I believe he elected to go a route where you're you're kind of 
resetting the market, so to speak, when when you're talking about the directions of the organization. Def defensive end is a premium position. Defensive end is a position that is, is kind of like quarterback. It's kind of like offensive tackle. Those are positions where it's hard to get above average and great players. And they are expensive if you do find them. So why not reset the market for our Buffalo Bills, get a defensive end who has all the abilities and has all the athletic traits. We just have to coach him up and have our own premier pass rusher for the next five years under a cheap contract. So ultimately, I think that was the goal for the Buffalo Bills and Brandon Bean. And overall, as I started to read and I started to scout more of the players that we have now that they're currently on the team, I, I like the overall direction that Brandon Bean went. And I love our overall draft class. I think uh, we're going to surprise some people with the rookies we have this season. DM3, how do you feel about um, our, our draft class this year? And do you think it's going to be able to provide positive dividends for the Buffalo Bills this upcoming season? I mean, yeah, everybody was kind of shocked when they took Gregory Rousseau um, because it was well known that he was a raw talent, right? But if you're in the position the Bills are in, not having to draft for need, and there's a guy that's this athletic with this much promise sitting there at 30, you absolutely take him. And like a rich said, he's going to replace guys like Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison. If you play him in the middle, he might replace some of those middle interior linemen. So I think, I think, I think it's a win. I do think that he'll get some reps. I don't think it'll be as much as second round pick boogie Basham. Because I think Carlos Basham is NFL ready. I think that he's the prospect that they had no idea that he was going to even be there in the second round. They thought that he would be gone long before they got to their pick in the second round. So I think I think Boogie's going to come in, and I think he's going to push even guys like AJ Epinesa, you know, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes. I think he's just going to push these guys to to just work that much harder to compete. Um, but you look at the offensive linemen, right? You look at Spencer Brown and you look at Tommy Doyle. And and like Akeem said, when you find linemen that are this athletic, it's usually in free agency and you're usually paying top dollar for these guys, right? So if you can get these guys in the draft and have the best backup plan for your, your interior and your tackles, if you can have the best backup plan, why wouldn't you do that? And – not to mention, people haven't seen Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have to draft for a roster that's already filled, basically, right? Because in the past, we've had to draft. We had to draft Tredavious White. We didn't have a number one corner. We had to draft Josh Allen because we didn't have a franchise quarterback. We had to draft Tremaine Edmonds because we didn't have that middle linebacker that was going to be a stud for years to come. We didn't have a dominant, you know, hopefully a dominant, defensive tackle and Ed Oliver. So we always had to draft for need. And now Brandon Bean's here and he doesn't have to draft for need. He has to draft to reset these positions when these free agents or these guys on, on contract when they're getting a little bit longer in the tooth and we have to reset these guys. And not a lot of people thought about that. And I thought it was, I mean, at first look, 
when you're, you know, you're watching the draft and you're thinking, why did they double dip on defensive end? Like we need a CB two and we need this and we need that when you don't have a tight end and this and that. And then you actually sit down and think about it. You let it soak in and you, you think about it. It makes a ton of sense how they draft it. Um, a lot of people wish they would have addressed a cornerback earlier than they did, but you, you know what? Let let Rashad Wild Goose come in here, compete. I think he's going to be a special teams guy. Um, he's very physical. He's a physical corner. Um, he can play some slots, so he can come and compete with Teron Johnson. And Teron Johnson's on a contract here, so who knows if he's going to be back next year? It's a it's a backup plan, if anything. Um, you look at Demar Hamlin. I feel like he's going to fill in for where Dean Marlowe, you know. He left and went and signed with the Lions. I think he's going to come in and fill that role perfectly on top of the fact that he played with Dane Jackson at Pittsburgh. So they have that camaraderie going. Um, and then the late round guys, I mean, it's all, it's all, it's all future thinking, you know, wide receiver and another lineman. Like it's, it's all, it's all forward thinking, right? Marquez Stevenson, like this guy, his breakaway speed, he could, he might be our kick and punt returner. Like he might make Isaiah McKenzie expendable. You know what I'm saying? So it's all going to come down to, to, to competition and, and how they pan out in camp. But I do think that there's going to be a couple guys that are going to absolutely put their stamp on this season and they're going to make some impact. And that's Carlos Boogie Basham and Demar Hamlin. I think those guys are going to see meaningful snaps and are going to help this team this year. Yeah, I have to. Yeah, I have to I have to agree. And I want to I want to ask y'all a question. I want to ask both of y'all gentlemen a question because DM3 made a point about double dipping at the defensive end position. Uh knowing what we know now, do you think that uh the Buffalo Bills would have drafted Gregory Russo in the first round if they knew they could have had Carlos Basham in the second? I wanted to get y'all thoughts on that. Uh, that's, that's a good question because if you watch Sean McDermott, if you guys watch the embedded show that was behind the scenes of the draft, Sean McDermott was, he looked like he was reasonably surprised. Like he was like, okay, so I guess we're doing this. So, I mean, it, it, I guess you can never tell. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, what if, because everybody wants to always go back and do those, those redrafts from the previous drafts based on how guys have produced in the NFL up to that point. But I honestly I don't, I don't think so. If, I think if Gregory Rousseau was either gone, because I think the only way that they don't draft him is if he's already selected by somebody else, but they could have taken another defensive end. I mean, they might have drafted Basham at 30. You know, we don't, we don't know that. So, I mean, that, that's a great question. I, I, I'm going to say no. I don't think they, that, I don't think they would have taken him in the second round if Rousseau was gone. Wait, if I'm understanding your question correctly, is do you think they would have took Rousseau in the Rousseau. first round if you knew Basham would be there in the second round, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, you know what? There is precedent for Brandon Bean kind of taking guys whose draft stock falls from one year to the next. If you look at uh Josh Allen, he was projected to be the number one overall pick in 2017. Obviously, he lost a lot of starters at Wyoming, didn't have an awesome season and dropped down. You know, he got him as the value pick at number seven. Ed Oliver was projected projected to be the number one overall pick. Uh, and they, I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, you know, obviously he 
didn't have a, a, the greatest season at Houston, and he ended up being the ninth overall pick. And then uh, Gregory Rousseau was half a sack away from second overall pick Chase Young, and then he doesn't play last year. And I think Brandon Bean saw that and was like, okay, well, what if he was Chase Young this year? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I could see that, you know, okay, they said nice. that, they said that, you know, um, they were looking at Rousseau the entire time. And uh, I, I don't see any reason to believe that they weren't. You know what I mean? So I think that they they might have. Um, I personally wanted them to double dip at cornerback. Uh, but looking at how our team is set up, our two weakest points on our squad is the offensive line and the defensive line. So to a Rich's point, why not go get some massive meaty guys who are strong and athletic that can change the perception of what your off of what your line looks like on both sides of the ball? Nice, nice. <clears throat> oh, well, uh, before we get out of here, I do need to get you guys' projections. Uh, let's let's just start with Josh Allen, uh, King Rich. What do you see Josh Allen's stats looking like for his fourth year? Probably final year with Brian Dayball. Uh, yeah, what, what do you think that looks like? Uh, Josh Allen, uh, statistical predictions. I have him completing uh, 66, 67% of his passes, over 4,600 yards, uh, 45 touchdowns, uh, 10 interceptions again, uh, eight touchdowns rushing. Uh, I just think Josh Allen is is going to be a man amongst boys this season. We talked about uh, his statistical improvements every game. We spoke about his statistical improvements on a year-to-year basis. What Josh Allen has done statistically to improve is unprecedented. And if uh, his trainer, his coach in the offseason, Jordan, uh, Jordan Palmer, can say, that Josh Allen is possibly uh, the the most generational quarterback he's seen, and he's also worked with Patrick Mahomes. That's a that's a a, a real real high regard that Palmer has for Josh Allen. And if he can see that, and he's working with him every single day in the off season, I have to believe that. Josh Allen can continue to ascend and progress as a as a player uh, that can now be uh, a, a year in year out MVP type player. And Josh Allen's ceiling is limitless, and his production climbs this season. So, uh, forty five, uh, definitely forty five touchdowns, ten picks, another eight rushing touchdowns, uh, over forty five hundred yards passing. DM three, what are you what are you thinking? Um, I I've said this for months now. He's going over five thousand yards, and everybody's like, "Well, wait a minute." Well, there's a seventeenth game, and to get to five thousand yards in a seventeen game season, that's two hundred ninety three and some change yards per game. Josh Allen passed for two hundred eighty four yards a game last year. You're telling me he can't get ten more yards a game? Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as touchdown receptions, it's all going to be based on how. They view this running game, which I feel like they're going to have some more red zone uh, rushing. I think they're going to, once they get towards the goal line, I don't think it's just going to be, you know, use the tight ends and and Josh do his thing. I think he'll still get his 
rushing touchdowns, but I mean, I, I could see, I could see 42 touchdowns. Um, I'm with a rich 10 to 12 interceptions because I do think Josh is still going to be that guy. That's going to want to try to fit balls in the tight windows, take chances. He's got a little bit of that Brett Favre in him. Um, and I, I think he goes for seven, eight rushing touchdowns. The thing to me though, is completion percentage, right? And I'm not saying he's going to have a massive jump from like he did from year two to year three, but I think he's going to be in the 72, 73% completion percentage window because look at his targets. He's got targets that are going to get open. You know, you replace John Brown with Emmanuel Sanders, arguably one of the top five route runners in the NFL. He's going to get open. We have Cole Beasley coming back, Gabe Davis year two, and obviously you have Stephon Diggs. So, you put all this together and I think Josh is just going to continue to do and what to, to justice's point about what he spoke on about every eight games. It seems like Josh just dials it in and then he hits the stretch of where he's just better. If you look at that stretch down, down towards the end of the season, he played consistently better than he did in the beginning of the season against top 10 defenses. You have the 49ers, the dolphins, the Patriots, a bunch of other teams in there that had top 10 defenses and Josh seemingly figured every single one of them out. So I I think, I I don't think he takes a monumental jump like he did from year two to three, because that would be absolutely absurd because of how good it was. But I think he's probably in the MVP conversation for most of the season. And I think he has a really good shot at becoming MVP. And here's the thing about Josh, too, is the confidence that he has in everything that he does is just what is going to make him successful every single year. He has the attitude. He has the confidence and he backs it up. I mean, people talk about how he's the biggest shit talker in the NFL because he is. And that's not arrogance. It's confidence. It's just he knows his abilities. And let's remember, last year was year three. He's still got some things he's got to work on. He's 25 years old. And once he gets into where things are just slowed down so much to where it becomes just second nature to make all the plays that he couldn't make last year. And every year since 2018, he's in the offseason. He's picked something to work with with Jordan Palmer and Brian Dable that he needed to fix from the year before. And he did that. In 2019, he fixed. He wanted to get all the intermediate stuff. He fixed that. In 2020, he... He wanted to work on the deep ball. He fixed that. 2021, he wants to work on crossing routes and, and the in-cutting routes. And if that's what he wants to work on and he figures that out, I mean, it's going to be amazing to watch. That's that's all i got to say. I think it's going to be a great season for Josh. All right, absolutely. I, I agree with you both. I, I see him up in that 5,000 uh, yards, especially with the extra game. I see him having uh, mid to high 40s, possibly 50 uh, touchdowns and – you know, I'm, I'm I'm with both of you about the, the rushing touchdowns as well. I see him anywhere from 8 to 12, uh, maybe even something like 15 if he goes crazy. Um, so I think we're all projecting Josh to, to take that next step again, which will probably result in an MVP. Now, I have two more questions. This one uh, is, is, is a little bit more of a softball. Uh, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley, do you see – or is it possible that they can be all pros again, both, neither, or maybe one of the two? What, what are you thinking, uh, DM3? 
I said this while wow, this was a while ago, and I even made a post on one of our social media platforms. I think Stefan Diggs has a really good chance with that 17th game, and I know there'd be an asterisk, but he has a really good chance at breaking the single-season receptions record. I don't care that we added Emmanuel Sanders. I don't care that Gabe Davis, everybody thinks he's going to warrant his touches. That makes Stefan Diggs even better because now you have to worry about these other guys. There's film on Gabe Davis, right? Everybody knows what Emmanuel Sanders is about, and – I hope to God everybody now knows what Cole Beasley is about. Um, he's had two back-to-back, you know, uh, career seasons with Josh. So I definitely think that's Stefan Diggs. I mean, he's doing the exact same stuff he did last year, but now there's, you know, team organized activities in the offseason, which he didn't have last year. There's training camp. There's mandatory camp. There was OTAs, um, which he took part of somewhat. There's, there's preseason games. So he's got, more and more time to build consistency with Josh. And then Colby's is going into his third year. Um, and I know his relationship with Josh and how that is. So I, I think Beasley, even if you, he warrants more coverage, he still gets open. I mean, we made a video about it and it, it's insane how he can get off the line and get open off the line. So I, I don't know if Cole Beasley will be an all pro because he's a year older. Um, people say his injury wasn't as severe as it was first reported and it, it's something that they these guys can come back from but Diggs, absolutely i think he can be a pro bowl or an all pro again uh beasley i'm not sure I, I still think he'll have a really good season um as consistent as he's been the last two years he'll average somewhere in in that ballpark yeah i have to i have to agree with with dm3 here i believe uh all pro we're talking about Stefan Diggs. I'm not sure if Cole Beasley is going to get back to the all-pro level, and that's not a slight to Cole Beasley. We have to remember, uh, I believe a lot of a lot of targets went to Cole Beasley because of the absence of John Brown throughout the season as well. We didn't he didn't quite get his footing back in the Buffalo Bills offense his second season like he did his first season. Now we have a guy like Emmanuel Sanders coming into the fold, and I believe he's going to take some targets away. But again, there's going to be enough targets to go around. So I do have three players, uh, these three receivers being Pro Bowl-type receivers for the Buffalo Bills with Stephon Diggs being the, the lone all-pro. But I do believe Cole Beasley as well, as Emmanuel Sanders can have Pro Bowl type seasons for the Buffalo Bills this year. All right, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, I have to agree. Uh, I think you know Stefan Diggs is is almost a lot. You know, with the connection him and Josh have uh, with you, with Josh rising is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I think it's almost inevitable that Stefan Diggs, who is one of the more talented receivers in the league, is just going to be up there in that All Pro, uh, you know, position. Hopefully for years to come. All right, final question before I let you guys go. I think you you know, you know it's been a little while now, over almost an hour and a half, <laughs> but. Uh, the running back two position. First, um, who do you think will win the battle? And then secondly, will that particular running back break a thousand yards rushing? King Rich. Uh, who will win the battle with the num with the running back position? I believe that's the question you're asking. If you're asking that in terms of competition, uh yes, that's that's what I was uh, saying. Got you, got you. In terms of in terms of the the running back competition, 
I believe uh, Zach Moss is the guy. Um, I just think that Zach Moss is a, a, a better pass blocker. I think Zach Moss is a better runner between the tackles. And uh, I think that uh, his mental makeup and just how he runs the ball is is something that would avoid well in the Buffalo Bills offense. He's gonna, uh, he's a one cut and goal kind of running back. And I think that's what's, what's necessary in a Brian Dable offense. I, I love the fact that the Devin Singletary is shifty and he likes to juke. Uh, but at certain instances, we need uh, a running back that's going to get one cut and head up field. And I believe uh, Zach Moss is, is better at doing that as well, again, as being an efficient pass blocker because we all heard Brian Dable said, say, we don't want to run the ball more we want to run the ball more efficiently. So at the end of the day, the Buffalo Bills are a passing team. Our interior offensive line still have some questions that have to be answered and pass blocking uh, above average. Good pass blocking with our running back is going to be key for the Buffalo Bills offense to sustain success. And when you have all those things, I have to go with uh, uh, Zach Moss winning the starting running back job. Well, 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 this is one of those times that we actually don't agree. Hey, Rich, I'm going with my guy, Motor Singletary. Um, here's the thing. Brian Dable in the scheme changed last year, right? Devin Singletary averaged 5.1 yards a carry as a rookie. He probably would have had more yards, more, more yards per touch. He probably would have had more touches if Frank Gore wasn't on the team and for whatever reason, we decided to use him to kind of bully teams in second halves of games, but he didn't forget how to, he, he just didn't forget how to, to do what he did in 2019. It was scheme. And if it's all going to be based, this is this whole conversation is going to be based off of how the bills view the running game and their scheme, right? If they're going to go with the same scheme as last year and they make no improvements with that, I think it's a crapshoot. I think it's going to be the hot hand of the day. It could be Zach Moss one day like it was last year against the Steelers. It could be Devin Singletary like it was a few other games. Like It, it, it all depends on how each week is schemed and how important they, they picture the running game being. Because you have, to, you have to think, okay, so they, bought, they brought Matt Breida in, right? They, they have to utilize three running backs at some point. They got to stop with this whole the third running back is inactive all the time. And I'm not talking about Taiwan Jones. He's a special teamer. They have to figure out each game the scheme that's going to work against the defense that they're going to. Because all we've heard since Brian Dable was hired was that he is very effective because of his mismatches. He puts guys in position to be successful because of how brilliant he is at breaking down defensive film. He knows that this tight end is a matchup against this linebacker. He knows that a four wide receiver set is going to be a matchup against this team like the Seattle Seahawks because of their deficiency in the secondary. So things he, he needs, he needs to figure out what he wants to do because I believe this team will be a passing team. As long as Josh Allen is the quarterback, this team is going to be a pass happy team. Um, so I got to go with motor Singletary. I just think, Last year, I think for both running backs was just kind of like a one-off. They they hardly ever tried to run. 
except when they needed to. And what wasn't broke, you didn't have to fix it. The passing game was working seemingly every week, and you didn't have to change that. But at some point, they're going to have to figure out, you know, hey, we need to keep teams off the field, um, especially in the in the second half. I do like the fact that Zach Moss is a guy that can finish out games, but I do think that Singletary is a guy that you can start games out with because the Bills play up-tempo offense, and I think he's more suited for screen passes and getting outside and doing things like that to keep defenses honest to open up the pass game. So I don't think either guy will have a 1,000 yards. I think it's going to be kind of running back by committee, but I do think that Singletary is going to get more carries and more touches uh, in 2021. Okay, DM3 did mention that he doesn't think either guy is going to get a uh, 1,000 yards rushing, at least. Uh, King Rich, do you see Motor, I'm sorry, Moss uh, getting potentially 1,000 yards rushing? No, I don't. Just based, just based off uh, the, the way the offense is constructed, right? It is a running back committee so to speak yes we're going to have a starter somebody's going to have to start the game but we're going to be rolling with guys that have the hot hand so because of that and combined with what brian dable has said right he doesn't want to run the ball more he wants to run the ball more efficient so the touches is not going to be to that capacity where uh, i believe one of these running backs will be able to get to that plateau of a thousand yards. So because of uh, the offensive philosophy and the scheme that we run combined with having it at a running back committee, I do not think any of these running backs will go over a thousand yards. If we're talking over 700 yards rushing for any of these running backs, that is a hell of a season in this offense. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, I, I think that, I can see both scenarios happening, honestly. Um, I'm personally more of a fan of motor. Um, I think that he's a little more shifty and he 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 uh can break a couple more tackles and, and maybe you know create just a little more explosive explosive plays, excuse me. Uh but other than that, uh A Rich DM3, uh the A Rich, hey man, let everybody know where they can uh, follow you on Twitter, Instagram. Oh, most definitely. King Rich underscore 987 VIB is where you can follow me on on Twitter. And I'm going to change around it and change around the name so it matches all my Instagram and the rest of my social media as well. But you can definitely find me going with uh, that name. And Justice, uh, this has been an excellent uh, podcast, man. I enjoyed the the conversation. I've been I enjoyed the the back and forth dialogue and debating with dm3 and this has been fun man and we definitely should do this again absolutely um you know you guys are the, the guys that you know people like us look up to so i really appreciate you coming on also uh you know buffalo B blueprint you want to let people know you know when they can uh, see you in action yes most definitely most definitely you can catch me on a built in buffalo podcast network the built in buffalo network every tuesday 9 30 p.m eastern time the buffalo blueprint will be on all social media platforms uh youtube twitter uh and facebook built some buffalo uh network so uh once again appreciate you justice absolutely so wind chill factor in the daytime when you wake up and then buffalo blueprint 
at night right before you go to bed. Yes, sir. <laughs> DM3, my man, uh, let everybody know where they can find you and also, you know, where they can listen to Billsology. DM3 underscore BIB on Twitter. I'm That's probably where I'm the most active is on Twitter. Um, the last year I've kind of picked up, you know, trying to interact more and more with with Bill's Mafia. Um, Bill's Allergy, Saturday nights, 9 o'clock on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter alongside my guy, A. Rich. Uh, we're there every Saturday. Had a great show last night talking about DBs. Uh, it will be up on our podcast network, um, the audio version of it. Um, but yeah, just this has been fun, Justice. It's been a while. We've been trying to do this for a few weeks, and this has been great. And if you guys don't know, Justice does a lot of stuff for us. So the guy works hard, and he is absolutely one of the the biggest keys in the cog of built in Buffalo. So we couldn't do what we do without him. Definitely. Hey man, I I just I'm just happy to be here. You know, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate all the support. You know, you give it. You guys have given us everything we need to to succeed and thrive. Just you know, doing this. You know, we're all relatively new, but you know, Dave and A Rich, they they got us on track to to be the best we can be. So. Much appreciated. Much love to both of you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Windshow Factor Podcast. Uh, again, listen to us every Tuesday. This is the Built in Buffalo Network. And like my brother Aris say, if you don't know us, get to know us. Salute.